how great is our God, we will take all of eternity to get the answer to that question. Welcome those of you that are here on this nice warm August evening and those of you that are joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us tonight. Before we get into the Word of God, I just want to, uh, I want to pray for a couple of situations and then we'll pray for tonight. I want to pray for uh, the nation of Haiti again. We prayed on Sunday. Uh, since Sunday, then they've had uh, this tropical storm hit them and drenched them with rain. And we do have people in our church that have relatives that are down in that area and are affected by it. As far as I know, everybody's well that's uh, related to people in our church. But there are many people there that are not, as many have lost their lives. And then I want to pray for the situation in Afghanistan. I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but there are real people whose lives are threatened now by this sudden takeover of the, of the Taliban. And uh, there, are, uh, there are missionaries, I believe, that are still there, as well as people that are just peaceable people that want to live their lives. And so let's pray, first of all, for the nation of Haiti. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we acknowledge that these disasters that happen are not caused by you. We're living in a world that's foreign. We're living in a world that your word says is under the curse and that there are going to be groanings in the earth until the kingdom of God is established here. And we thank you for the privilege of being part of that. But until that time, Lord, these times will come and as we get closer to the end. But there are people, people you love and care about, whose lives are impacted by these tragedies. And we pray specifically tonight for those people in southern Haiti that have been so badly impacted by this by this earthquake and now by this tropical storm. We pray that you would comfort those that have lost lives. We pray for those that have been injured, Father, that you would help them to speedily recover to a complete wholeness and health and wellness. We pray, Father, for those that have lost their homes and everything, everything that they ever owned, Lord. We ask you to comfort them and strengthen them and protect them. And we pray for peace in the nation of Haiti as they still have political turmoil and, and, and threats. And we just pray for your peace, especially to the missionaries that are there, those that we know and support and those that we don't, those especially that are ministering and taking care of children. We ask you to continue to protect them and to strengthen them and to comfort them. And now, Father, we turn our attention to the nation of Afghanistan that has so often been the, the center of wars. We pray for this nation, Father, because it is filled with people you love and you care. There are many that have already been converted to be followers of Christ, and we pray for you to keep them safe. We pray for missionaries that may still be caught there, Father, and everyone else whose lives are now drastically threatened by the takeover of this terrorist organization. And Father, we pray, Lord, for your peace there, for wisdom, for our president and everyone else, Lord, regardless of our politics and their politics, we pray for wisdom for our leaders to know what to do in each of these situations as well as the others that they face. And Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity to open your word together. We're living in difficult times, Father. Things that we may have thought were settled and behind us are, are still being stirred up and threatening us in many different areas. But you're still a great God. You're still on your throne. Jesus is still Lord, and he is Lord over the church, and he's Lord over this church, and he's Lord over our lives. And you put us here for such a time as this. And so we ask you as we come together tonight that by your Spirit you would continue to strengthen us through your Word. Deposit your Word down in our hearts and encourage us in our faith to grow in our faith and to be committed to grow in our faith and to continue to show us the way. And for the grace to do all of these things, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I do want to let you know that um, uh, Monday, I think it was, we put together... Uh, a care package from some of the things that we've collected here that you've supplied and we've received from other sources. And we've sent them to some contacts we have 
down in Haiti, and we're going to continue to do more as we get more information in. Unfortunately, we do have some contacts that can give us uh, uh, important contacts of where we can send these things so we know that they get into, into good hands, and that's so important. So just ask you to continue to pray for wisdom, and we're just going to trust God to see what else we can do. Because although we are, compared to what they're dealing with, we're living very safe and relatively secure, even though we're facing our own issues here. And these are people that God loves, and, 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 and they're brothers and sisters that are there. So we need to continue to keep them in our prayers and our leaders in our prayers. And the Lord corrected me again this week, and he's done this before, and I've shared it with you before. But it's very easy to criticize our political leaders, and there are times they deserve it. But the Lord spoke this to me. He says, you do not have a right to criticize a leader that you've not been praying for. Because I need you to pray for them for wisdom, regardless of their politics and their view. Your prayers open avenues by which I can speak to them and I can direct their choices and their decisions. So I'm just sharing something with you that God shared with me because I was tempted to do that this week. And the Lord corrected me in that. So, all right, let's get into God's word tonight. I believe that God's going to have something important to us. In fact, on my way over here... um, I really feel God impressing on me again why, why this subject is, is so important. Uh, let's start in, uh, in a verse that we began with last week. We're talking about, um, I'm in the wrong message. I've got Sunday's message here, and that's not the one I want. All right. Praise hallelujah. Steps of Abraham. Where are we here? No, no. There we go. It was here a little while ago. Well, I'm not going to fool with that. That's why I print them out. Okay. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, is the scripture that we started with last week. And it says it's in the middle of a chapter which is known as the Hall of Fame of Faith. It gives examples of people that have gone on before us and have lived by faith. And verse 6 tells us that, that without faith it's impossible to please God. For in order to come to God, you must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So we're talking about in this mini-series, learning to follow the steps of Abraham. And we'll look at the scripture behind that in just a moment. And I'm just reviewing quickly. Abraham, uh, uh, God's word says that faith is one of the most important things. In fact, if we don't develop our faith, we really can't communicate or do anything with God because everything we do with him is by faith because you can't see him. Because verse 1 says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the reason we're doing this is because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we want, we want to please God. So let's go over to... Um, uh, yep, I'm going to just put this away. Can you take this, honey? Anita? Thank you. Okay. Hebrews 4, verse 11, tells us, and I'll turn to there because I don't know that they'll have that up there. It says that we are to walk in the steps of the faith of Abraham, who was the father of our faith. Romans chapter, uh, chapter um, 4, here from last week. Romans chapter 4, verse 11. And he received the sign, talking about Abraham, we received this, he received the sign of the circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, that he may be the father of those who believe. So he's the father of our faith. Um, through, through the, though they are uncircumcised, that the righteousness be imputed to them. And the father of the circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who walk in the steps of the faith of Abraham, which is our father, Abraham, while he was still uncircumcised. So Abraham is called the father of our faith. 
he is the, he is the first one to really learn to walk by faith. Hebrews 11 tells you others. But he's the example that is given to us. And it says that we are to learn to follow in the steps. And the steps mean how he learned to walk this out. So what we're doing in this mini-series is we're going back, starting with in Genesis chapter 12, or actually the end of chapter 11, which we did last week, where we see how God trained Abraham in his faith. Now, if you go on in, Hebrew, in Romans 4, which we will eventually get to, it says that Abraham never wavered in unbelief. Well, we're going to see he wavered all over the place tonight. So God's testimony about Abraham is where he ended up, not what he went through to get there. And I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort that we don't have to do this perfectly, but God is working with us as our teacher. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about that on Sundays. God's put his spirit in us to teach us how to walk by faith. And he will give us lessons to learn, and we have to do our part, which is to put God's word in and to meditate in God's word. So where we went last week is we were back in Romans 12, in um, in Genesis 12, back in the very beginning of Abram's story, and we, we saw his background, how he was raised in, a, in what is essentially Iraq now, and it was the old Babylon, and it was a very pagan nation, and there's a very good chance from the name of Ur, in the, in the uh, Aramaic version of it, that they may, may have been moon worshippers. And God speaks to him and tells them to leave, and his father takes their family, and they move up, and we showed maps last week, we're not going to show them this week, they moved up north to a place called Haran, and there they settled there, and while they were there, God spoke to him in in Genesis chapter 12, and God told him to leave his family and go to where he would tell him to go. And then God told him that he was going to bless him. And that we talked about what that word blessed means. It's an amazing word. It's the Hebrew word barach, which literally means to bow down to. And there are many places where it talks about blessing God, and that refers to bowing and worshiping God. But what does it mean when it says God blessed Abraham? Well, it's the same thing. God humbled himself and bowed before Abraham to commit himself to Abraham and all that he has and all that he can do. So this is the beginning of something we'll talk about later on, where God's opening Abraham's eyes to a covenant relationship where God has committed himself to him. And then God says, and I will bless you, and then I will make you a blessing to others. So I will, you, you will be a channel through whom I will bless others. And ultimately that refers to the ultimate blessing, which is the Savior coming through the lineage of Abraham. And then he says this, he says, And those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. In other words, I'm going to not only provide for you, I will deal with everybody else on the basis of how they deal with you. And that's why how we see Israel today and how we treat Israel today is so important because God's still faithful to this promise that he made to Abraham, although his name was Abram at this point. We'll talk about that, talk about that later on. So that's kind of our background. And then uh, we saw in Genesis chapter uh, 12 the, the, this promise. And then we saw that Abraham obeyed. He departed from that land, but he didn't do exactly what God said. God told him to leave his family and to take his, take his, and, and to go where he would tell him to go. And that very first step is an act of faith. And very often, this is how God begins with us. He has you do something without telling you why that is a a step on your part to respond to his call. And Abram obeys by leaving, but he doesn't perfectly obey because he takes his nephew Lot with him. Lot is the son of of Abram's brother, uh, of Abram's uh, father. He says, yeah, (laughs) Abram's, bro- Abram's uncle, Haran, this Lot is his son, and Haran had died. So the family's taking care of Lot. So I under- it's understandable why Abram would want to bring him with him to continue to take care of him, but that's not what God told him to do. And we're going to see tonight where that causes a problem for Abram. 
So we'll go on with this story. Now, so Abram obeys, and he leaves, and he passed through the land of Shechem, and he settles down where we left off. He settles down in Bethel, between Bethel and Ai. And then, uh, he, then he begins to go south. Now we're going to pick up in verse 10, Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Let's stop there. Let's look at what's not in there. We saw last week, and I just reminded you, that God made a commitment of himself to Abram, that I will, I will bless you. I will provide what you need. And I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And I was, I'm going to take care of you. Now a, a problem arises, a need arises. It's a famine. The land is short on food. And what's missing here is nowhere in here does Abram ask God what to do. And nowhere in here does God tell Abram to go to Egypt. The last thing God told Abram is, I'll take care of you. Now there are times in the Old Testament... First of all, Egypt in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, represents the world's way of doing things. It was when Israel is in bondage there for 430 years. It is now. So Israel represents man's best efforts to govern himself, provide for himself. And Egypt became one of the world's greatest centers for medicine and science. In fact, they developed things that we still haven't figured out how they did them. And so they were brilliant scientists, brilliant mathematicians, brilliant engineers, but they did it all on what man's ability to do, and the only gods they had were idols and over 2,000 of them, and we've talked about them before. So when it talks about somebody that's one of God's people going to Egypt, it refers to turning to the world. And there are times when God had his people go down to Egypt, There was a time when Isaac's family was facing his famine and God had already sent one of his sons, Joseph, ahead into Egypt to prepare a relief program. So God sent his people to Egypt to be taken care of, but he had his representative there. There are other times when God tells them to go to Egypt. Then there are times when God warns them, don't turn to Egypt. Because again, Egypt represents the world's answer to our problems. And that applies to us today. Because we're facing situations now. This is, I was going to share this at the beginning. We're facing situations now where the very best scientists and medical people are trying their best and have come up with some solutions like the vaccine and things like that. Am I getting into whether you should get it or not? But now they don't know how effective it is and how long it's going to last. So now there's stories out there that we may have to get booster shots and things like that. And they're doing their very best, but ultimately their best may not be enough. And the world will become afraid when they begin to realize that, the, that the, our, our, our scientists and our medical people ultimately don't have an answer. The concern we have is that the church is just like the world. We've learned to trust in what the world provides, what Egypt provides for us as its answer. And I believe we're getting a wake-up call that it's time that we learn to live by faith. Faith in God for our health, faith in God for our provision, because if everything falls apart, God needs a people who will not panic and that will not fall apart that God's going to be able to take care of. God's, there's a whole history in the Old Testament of God taking care of his people when they'll do what he says to do. And even sometimes when they didn't do what he says to do, God is always taking care of his people. And that's a testimony to the world. The Bible talks about when you don't panic when things go wrong, that's a testimony to the world that God is real. And that's one of our purposes in being here. So this is important. This is important that we learn to to live by faith in every area of our lives. And that ought to be very clear now as we see things that we thought were answers that may not be quite the answer that everybody's thought there were. So, that's verse 10. Abraham decides to go down and take care of his problem by going to the world, going to Egypt to supply his needs in a famine. 
verse 11. And it came to pass as he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. So he, this is, I want you to understand, we're talking about Abraham growing in his faith. So we've seen, he stepped out, he left his family, but not completely. And now he's dwelling in the land God's going to give him. And now there's a famine, there's a problem. So what does he do? He turns to the world to provide his answer. And on his way down there, he begins to think. And as he looks at his wife, he's basically saying, even though, even though you're, I think she's 70 at this point, even though you're 70 years old, you're still pretty good looking. So look what he's going to say. He's going to take care of himself and offer up his wife. This is our father of our faith. Verse 12. Therefore it will happen, not that it might happen, it will happen that when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. So notice who his concern is for. Please say you're my sister. Now there's truth in this. Because they did share the same father, but they don't have the same mother. So his wife is really his half-sister. Don't ask me to explain that. That's just what the Bible says. So tell, say that you're my sister and it may be well with me for your sake. Oh, yeah. That I may live because of you. In other words, I'm going to offer you up to them, whatever they want to do with you. So, that, so notice when you're not in faith, you take care of yourself first. When you're not in faith, you'll do everything to take care of yourself, even to the point of sacrificing people that you care for. And so, faith, because faith and fear go together. They're twins. Verse 14. So it was when Abram came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman and said that, and that she was beautiful. And the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. For he treated Abraham well for her sake. Yeah, he thought he was her brother. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. So Abraham's not in faith. Not only is he going down there to provide for himself and he's not trusting God, but now, in order to protect himself, He's offering his wife to the king, basically, to take as his wife. But we're going to see God's grace and God's mercy here and God's faithfulness here. Verse 17. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. When we saw last week, God's promises, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And God is not happy with Abram, but he's still going to be honor his commitment to Abram. That if somebody harms you or your family, then I will come against them. So, verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, Why is it that, what is this you've done to me? You didn't tell me that she was your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife, and now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Go your way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, his wife, and all that he had. Notice God's patience with him. God's faithful. It says, I think it's in 2 Timothy. That, that, that if we deny him, he'll deny us. But if we're faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. God's made a commitment to you, a covenant commitment to you as his child, and for him to deny you is for him to deny himself, and he cannot deny himself. If you reject him, if you deny him and reject him and walk away from Christ, then you mean it, then he can deny you. But if you're just struggling in your faith, if you're growing in your faith, if you're weak, he will not deny you. He still will love you, and he will do what you enable him to do to take care of you. 
But what ultimately pleases God is when we learn to grow in our faith because it allows God to be closer to us. We're going to see that as we get to the end of Abraham's journey. Faith not just allows God to bless us, it brings us into a closer, a closer communion with him. It brings us, see, the more you trust him, the more you put your welfare and trust in him, the greater you get to know him. The more you see him come through. I've been walking with the Lord 43 years, and I could fill this evening up with testimonies of the way he's come through for us in our health, the way he's come through for us in our finances. And a number of those times, there we just our faith was just gone. There was one time when we had to leave the church that we were before because it wasn't something that was our fault. It was just we needed to leave, and, and we were struggling financially. We were struggling in every year in our life. And then my wife discovers she's got a growth on one of her breasts. And she goes to the doctor to confirm that growth is there. And he said, yeah, we need to do a biopsy on it. And I remember sitting out in the car. We had no health insurance. We had no hope. I mean, we were exhausted. We were tired. We were burned out. We were struggling just to find a place to live. It was, it was, it was some stupid decisions I made. But my point is, we had no faith. We were at the end. And I still remember sitting in that blue station wagon after we got out of the doctor's office. And we just held hands. And we said, God, we have no faith right now. We're tired. We're worn down. And all we can do is cry out to you as a God of mercy. Father, this is the problem. Please heal my wife. And she asked for the same thing. And they went home. I don't know, was it a day or two later? We're getting up and she's shaking me. And she reaches up. She's, it's gone. It's not there. That wasn't our faith. That wasn't our great faith. But it was faith enough in God to call in his mercy. It was faith enough to God to call on his mercy. We didn't argue our case and say, look, we've done great things for you. We left the law. Because God's not moved with us. But when you call in his mercy, so God is merciful. God is merciful. And he knows your heart. He knows your heart. He doesn't count your failures just as he doesn't count your successes. He knows your heart. And what this is all about with God is he wants a closer relationship with you. He wants, he wants you to experience his love for you and his goodness. And he wants, you, wants to experience more of you. And that's only going to come as we grow in our trust. And so the times when God warned Israel, don't turn to Egypt for your help. There were times they were about to be attacked by armies from the north and their temptation was to go to Israel, make an, uh, Egypt, make an alliance with them and have their armies come and defend them. And God warns them, don't trust in chariots and don't trust in horses, but you shall trust in the Lord your God. And so God, because the God wants to show them how he would come through for them. And he wants to show you how he'll come through for you. But you've got to begin to step out in trust. And it starts with little things. Most Christians are so used to turning to the world for everything they need. And then suddenly an emergency comes up, and now they're trying to operate in great faith, and it's, that's not the time to do it. Pastor Sam Smith that founded this church used to say, you don't start pouring the foundation of the building in a hurricane. You better have the foundation poured before the storm comes. And so I really believe God's alerting us now that it's time to begin to develop our faith. It's time to begin to begin to develop it in our lives, not just in church when we're seeing great is our God. That's wonderful. But how great much do we sing great is our God when an unexpected bill shows up? Or when people around you test positive for COVID that you were with yesterday? Or something threatens you? How great is our God then? And it's in those times when you learn to turn to him that you really find out how great is our God. And so Abraham's learning a lesson here. And what he sees here is that God has rescued him. I mean, imagine that. He's offered his wife up. I don't know how they worked that out when they got home. But he offered his wife up to save his own neck. 
Okay, let's move on. And notice, let's go back, let's look at um, verse 16. And he treated Abram well for her sake. So he had sheep and oxen. So basically, when Pharaoh thinks that Sarai's his daughter, sister, to take his sister from him, he blesses Abram with all these animals and all this stock. So when he kicks him out of Egypt, Abram takes all of that stuff with him. So God not only rescues him, but God prospers him even when he was not in the faith that he should have been in. But Abram's just beginning to learn to walk by faith. And God expects us to grow in our faith. So if we've been a Christian for 43 years, and I've never, and if I've never learned to exercise my faith, God's not going to let, very often, when we're Christians that have been around for a while, and, and, and you know, we're, we're calling all kinds of people to pray, and it doesn't seem to be working, it's because God's expecting us to learn how to come to him for our needs. Basically, prayer chains and prayer partners are intended while we're growing in faith. Now, praying for other people is a different situation. But for your need, God wants you to grow and mature so that you can learn to come to him for your own needs so that you can learn to develop a confidence and trust in God and not your friends who pray for you. It's not easy to hear sometimes. But God's a father, and he expects us as his children to grow up. We have children, our youngest children are 40 years old. And when they come home, we don't expect them to start eating with their hands and gurgling and have to put a bib around their neck and feed them with a bottle because they're 40 years old. Our youngest ones are men. One of them's married, about to have a child. They're responsible. They need to act. We need to treat them as if they're responsible. Well, God's no different. He will treat us as if we're responsible. And if God knows that your faith should be somewhere, he will let you sometimes struggle so that you wake up and realize, wait a minute, I've got to take responsibility for my own faith. And very often what happens is when we do that, we get upset at other people, we get mad at God, it didn't work. When God's sitting here says, I'm expecting you to take my word. I've given you everything you need. I've given you my word. I've given you good teaching. I've put my spirit in you as a teacher. What else can I do? It's now up to you to begin to learn to develop your faith by meditating on the word and then by beginning to act on the word. I mean, that, this has been taught from this pulpit for 43 years, not this physical pulpit, but from the pulpit in this church. And God's and I know you all haven't been here that long, very few of you, but you've been, we've been, and I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking out there, okay? And in some cases to me. It's time that we learn to grow up in our faith. And so God will meet you where you are if you're willing to grow. And he'll help help you with your mistakes and your weaknesses. But when we get to the end of Abram's story, God doesn't deal with him the same way. Because he has expected to and he's seen him grow, grow in his faith. Okay, let's go on. Let's see another great example here. Let's go right down into chapter 13. Then Abraham went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot still with him, his nephew, that God did not tell him to bring. And they go up and they settle in the south of of Israel. And Abraham was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, where we left off last week. So he's come back to where he started out once he settled in Israel. To the place of the altar which he had made. We talked about that last week. There at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. This phrase appears a number of times in the Old Testament. And I don't remember we talked about it last week. But it's a, it's, it's a little obscure what it means. But if you look at the context, there are times when it looks like it means worshiping. Calling upon the name of the Lord. So to call upon the name of the Lord is to call upon who he is. 
And there are times when it's used to call upon Him for the God that provides for us and takes care of us. In some ways, when we sat on the front seat of that car, when they found that growth in her, we were calling on the name of the Lord. We weren't exercising great faith. We were calling on Him. So we're, we're, we're invoking Him into the situation. Sometimes it's worshiping Him. And I believe in this case, because where, this is an, where they built an altar to, to, to thank God for having settled them in this area, and so they've come back to that place this is why having memorials in your life, places where you can remember, and it may not, doesn't have to be a physical altar, but a place that you can go back to in your mind or in your stories, telling stories to your children about things God has delivered you from. I've started to do that with some of our, younger, our, our sons and tell them the things God has brought us through because this is part of the, their heritage. But those are spiritual memorials. They're spiritual altars purpose of an altar or memorial is to go back and remember something God has done for you and how he showed himself for who he is at that place and at that time. So that's what they've gone back, they've gone back to do. And now we're going to see what happens with Lot. Verse 5. And Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for all their possessions were so great, they were not able to dwell together. So this land was not big to hold everything that Lot and Abram had. Verse 7. So there developed strife between the herdsmen of Abram's flock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me. There again, a man of faith will not permit strife. Strife is the greatest destroyer of your faith. Strife is an open door. You can be standing at the front of your door making all the best faith confessions you can possibly make. But if you're in strife with somebody or even you're in strife with, with any situation, while you're proclaiming faith at the front door, you've opened the back door for Satan to bring his semi up and dump his garbage into your life. And Jesus warns us about this over and over again. Strife is a killer. Envy, jealousy, and strife is an open door to Satan because it comes from his spirit. It comes from his spirit. So when we're operating in those things, we're operating in the spirit of Satan at the same time we're trying to let the spirit of God teach us and direct us. And that can't happen. So this is why strife is so serious, so important. So Abraham knows he has to deal with this. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's flock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwell in the land. That's just telling us that there's an enemy in the land. So Abram says to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for they are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me, and if you take what's to the left, I'll go to the right, and if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now now notice here. Abraham's a man growing in his faith. So because he's growing in his faith, and God is his source, he can afford to be generous and gracious. So he's saying to his nephew, who should not have been there to begin with, He's saying to his nephew, he said, look, we got a problem here. Your people are fighting with my people, and I don't want to get in strife with you, and I don't want our families and workers in strife with each other, so we got to separate. So here's what I want to do. You choose where you want to go. And wherever you choose, I'll go in the other direction. And I can afford to do that because God's my source. Now we'll see what Lot did. So that's his generous, gracious act as a man of faith. Verse 10. But look what Lot does. Look at these first phrases. Lot lifted his eyes and saw. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. When you evaluate things by sight, now they're natural things you need to evaluate by. As I say over and over again, 
When you go home and get on I-95, you better evaluate by sight whether it's faith to go out there. But we're talking about the things of God. When you evaluate the things of God, uh, of the situations, by your natural reason and your natural sight, you cannot do that and walk by faith at the same time. Back in Leviticus, where it talks about, in Numbers, excuse me, where it talks about when the people of of Israel were, were complaining against God and against Moses, and God had about had it because it had gone on like 10 different times. And God sends a plague on them. And it's snakes. And, and, and they probably were out there anyway. And, and God had a hedge of protection around them. And when they get murmuring and complaining and feeling sorry for themselves and they turn on God, their hedge of protection came down and those snakes, poisonous snakes, venomous snakes, came pouring in to the, into the, into the, into the uh, camp. And a number of weeks, months ago when we were talking about uh, healing, I use that story as an example of, of what would what would be like if if tonight we just released about ten rattlesnakes in here. Would that be disruptive to the service? Of course it would. Well, they've got hundreds of rattlesnakes, hundreds of snakes, maybe thousands released among them, and they start biting them. And when they bite them, people are dying all around them from the bites of these snakes. So Moses pleads with God to have mercy on the people and to forgive them. And, I mean, Moses would have been in his rights to say, get them, God, because they've complained against me and you. But he's a merciful, he's a man of God. He pleads for them, and God says, all right, I'm going to forgive them, but here's what i got to do. God's answer was not to remove the snakes. God's answer was to say, from now on, any one of them that are bitten... Oh, he had Moses take a brass pole and to form a, an image, a brass image of a snake and wrap it around the pole and hold the pole up. And God says to Moses, tell the people, if you're bitten, not that you won't be bitten, but if you're bitten and you maintain a steady look at that image of the snake, you won't die. Now, what's that all about? Well, Jesus explains this in John chapter 3, when he says that snake on the pole is a, is a type, an example of what Christ is going to do on the cross. Because the Old Testament, different metals and different colors and different materials symbolize certain things. And brass, that, the metal brass, represents sin that's been judged. So the symbolism here is to take an image of, of, of a snake, and a snake represents sin. Back in the garden, that's what Lucifer turned into when he came to deceive the Eve. And so this image of sin, judged, lifted up on a pole, represents Christ, the Son of God, who is on whom God judged the sin of the world, lifted up. And Jesus makes that connection in John chapter 3. Just as the serpent was lifted up on a pole, so the Son of Man will be lifted up on a pole, on a cross. So, But here's the point here. God's saying to them that, that whoever looks, and the word look there in the Hebrew doesn't mean to take, oh, nice to see it. No, a steady, focused glance at, a steady focus considering of, focus on, at the same time, snakes are slithering around your feet and even biting you. To learn to focus on God's word in spite of what may be happening to you and your feeling. So you can't be looking at the snakes and thinking about the numbness that's coming up your leg and look at the serpent at the same time. In the same way, you can't walk by faith and then be considering what a lot was going to look at. So that's what's involved in those terms where it says, and Lot, and, and Lot um, lifted up his eyes. Verse 10. He lifted up his eyes and saw, what did he see? The plain of the Jordan, which is the Jordan River, 
What did he see about it? That it was well watered everywhere, because this is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was so well watered, it was like the Garden of the Lord, Garden of Eden, like in the land of Egypt as you go out towards Zoar. So it reminded him of what it was like in Egypt. It looked like Egypt. It looked like it was prosperous. But here's the key. It looked good. It looked like the best possible place for his herds to graze. It looked, because it was already there. There's water there. There's already green grass. But notice what the verse before had said, or several verses before it says, but there are also Canaanites and Perizzites there. Uh, the other thing that's also there, oh, by the way, there's two cities there, which we'll read about later, Sodom and Gomorrah. But he's not seeing them. He's seeing the answer to everything he needs. He's seeing it with his eyes. And he's reasoning, this is the best place. So he's walking by sight. He's making his decisions by what he can see and not by what God's promises are. So when he's given a choice, he doesn't ask God what's the best thing to do. He goes simply by his own reasoning and what he sees. Now, I told you before, God did not tell Abram to bring a lot with him. His intentions may have been good, but he didn't fully obey God. And we're going to begin to see the problem that Lot's already see the problem here because it, it, there's, a, there's strife coming in. So Abram's wise. We've got to separate. I'm a man of faith. You choose what you want, and I'll take what's left over because God's my source. He'll take care of me no matter what you leave me with. Verse 11. So Lot chose for himself all of the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Verse 13, verse 12. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. But see, Lot never noticed that. He didn't recognize, or if he recognized, he didn't allow their evil to influence his decision because he was more controlled by the blessings and the prosperity that he could see with his eyes instead of trusting God. And see, it's very hard to discern good from evil when you're not walking in faith. It's very hard, and this is why one of the reasons I believe that so many Christians today, and it's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen, so many Christians today are getting deceived and pulled off course by issues or confused by things. People, it grieves my heart because they're getting sucked away into issues that Jesus never taught us to deal with. Why is that happening? Because they don't recognize the deception. Because they're not living by and walking in faith. Because why? Faith requires you to keep your focus on God. Faith requires you to tune out things that God has not told you to be involved in. It teaches you a focus like they were taught to focus on that brazen brass serpent on the pole. They had to learn to focus on what God had given them. We need to learn to focus on God's word and focus on the spirit of God inside of us and not be distracted by what's going on in the world around us. And as you begin to walk in faith and develop that, you learn to discern what's pulling you, what's designed to pull you off track from what's designed to keep you on track. I don't know how they do it anymore, but I know years ago when I was talking to some pilots, the, 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 when these, the commercial airlines and the military airline, air, uh, uh, planes they can fly regardless of the weather. I mean, obviously, terrible storms they can't fly in. But they can fly in fog and in the storm. You never fly, go in a plane, you know, and it's a rainy day and it's foggy. And, you know, how are they going to land? Well, they're not just landing by, by praying in tongues. They have, an, have instruments that tell them whether they're on course or not. Now, I don't know what they use now, but it used to be called a tack hand. And it would give them a, a, a signal. And that one signal they knew told them they were on course. But if the signal changed, it told them that they were off course. 
and is critical because the faster you go, and there's formulas like um, one of our elders that's been home to we with the Lord a number of years ago. Because he was a, he used to fly in the Navy, and he could tell me what this principle is. But the the faster you go, the the, the farther off course you'll get with the smallest deviation. And so, um, so the, but so they've learned. There's a signal they get that tells them that they're that they're on course. Well, we as Christians need a signal that tells us that we're on course. And it's not your emotions. It's not your appetite. It's not anything your five senses will tell you until you've really matured. And then Hebrews tells us when we've matured that even our senses can tell us the difference between right and wrong. And so the, how critical it is to learn to walk by faith. It's not just getting your needs met. It's learning to stay on course when things are, are thrown at you to deceive you. And Satan is a master deceiver. He can deceive you with things that look true. He can deceive you with good things, but that doesn't mean they're God. That doesn't mean that what's what God wants you to do. And so it's, it's, it's so important that we learn and grow in walking by faith, and that's why we're, we're doing this series, to learn some things together. So let's look at what Abram does here. Okay. We're in um, verse 14. So now Lot's gone. Lot's taken his herd, his family, and they've gone down into this beautiful, fertile valley with plenty of water and plenty of lush green grass and Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's, or, or Abram's, up in the higher land where it's not so prosperous, where it's more difficult. But now with that, now that Lot... His nephew that's not living by faith has gone. God can deal with the man of faith. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Now, wait a minute, Pastor John. You just told me that Lot was wrong because he was seeing where he was supposed to go. He was seeing and he was relying on what he sees. Now God's telling Abraham to look. But it's a different look. It's the look of faith because God's telling him to look. Now notice what he's going to say here. This is so important for us. Lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are. Look north, south, east, and west. For all the land which you can see, I will give you and your descendants. Look, God is so much more real We've got a religious idea that God sits up there and he's just designed everything for us and we can only get what God designs for us and nothing else. And and there are places where God tells us to come and argue with him for our benefit, to have a real relationship. So God's saying to Abraham, now that Lot's gone, all right, you're my man of faith and you've chosen, you've allowed him to choose the plush, prosperous land. I want to show you what I'll do for you. But you, you're going to set the boundaries of what I'm going to give you. Because whatever you can see, I'll give you. You, How far you can see to the north, the south, the east, and the west, that's what I'm going to give you. In other words, you set the limits. Your vision sets the limits of what I can do for you. I heard this story uh, at, a, at a conference that... Lafayette scale has. I used to. We used to go to it. Excuse me a minute. About this old gentleman that took his young boy out fishing, uh, his friend out fishing, and they're 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 catching fish, and and he's watching this young man <coughs> bring the fish in, and he catches this small fish, and he puts it in the pan. And he catches a big fish, and he throws it back. Gets another small fish, puts it in the pan in the, in the bucket. He gets this big fish, and he throws it. He puts it back. And after this has happened three or four times, he says, "Excuse me a second. I, I've got to ask you. You're you're keeping the small fish, but you're throwing the big fish back. How come?" He says, "Because those fish are too big to fit in my frying pan." Some of you will get that on the way home. He could dig a bigger frying pan, and fry bigger fish, but your vision, what you expect 
limits what God can do for you. Ephesians 3.20 says, For my God is well able, my God's able, to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or ask. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a story in... Um, I think it's 2 Kings... Second Kings 13. I'm not going to go there. But it's a story where, um, where Elisha, this great prophet, is, is in the process of dying. And he goes to King Joash. And their Syrians are threatening them. And he's giving this last instructions from God to the king. And he said, get your quiver of arrows. And he said, I want you to strike the ground with them. Because by doing that, you're going to declare your victory over them. And the king took out his arrows, and he struck the ground three times. And the prophet got angry at him. He says, why did you only strike the ground three times? You should have struck the ground four, five, six, seven, eight times, and then God would have given you total victory. But you chose a small vision, and therefore you will only win a few battles, but the Syrians will overcome you. So God was limited what he could do for Joash and the nation by the vision that the king was willing to go for. God thinks big. And in this day, God is looking for us to think big, outside the box. Because when we trust God, we're looking at what he can do, not what we can do. And often when we have small vision, it's because we have a, we're looking at things through our own eyes, what we can do or what we think we can handle. And God wants to do big things in this time that we're in to show who he is and what he can do to a world that's struggling and lost and afraid and scrambling for answers. And he needs people that will be bold and strong and that's only going to come as we learn to grow, to grow by faith. Verse 16, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man, this is how big God can think, so that if, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could be numbered. Arise, now this is the second thing he's going to tell them to do, arise and walk the land through its length, its width, for I will give it to you. Lot chose what he could see, and he chose it for himself. And now he's responsible for managing this. But because God, Abram was a man of faith and allowed Lot to have the first choice, God said, now I'm going to bless you and you're going to set the limits of what I'll do for you. And once you set that limits, I want you to walk around the borders of it and take possession of it. And I'm going to multiply your seed. And as we go on with Abram, we're going to see how God makes a covenant with him to do that. So, next time, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what happens, the problem that Lot begins to cause Abram. Again, this goes back, that starts in chapter 14. Again, this goes back to Abram did not do exactly what God told him to do. So he's already had trouble because Lot's herdsmen are fighting with his herdsmen. And now we're going to see Lot, who's not a man of faith, gets in trouble the first time. We're going to see him get in trouble twice, and he's got to be rescued both times. And Abraham's the one that's going to do that. So let's, we'll end this here and just pray, and then we're going to give an invitation. Father, we just thank you as we walk through these steps with Abraham. We thank you because we want to see in this journey that we're walking through together and with Abram as we so thankful that you've recorded his successes, failures as well as his successes and we learn as we see you work with him in helping him to grow and to develop in his faith because I think, Father, sometimes we think faith is an all or nothing proposition that it's either we have it or we don't, we don't have enough of it and we don't really understand what faith is and how we grow in that faith. That it is a relationship with you and knowing how much you love us 
And so, Lord, help us now in this week to take some of the things that we've heard, some of the things that your Spirit has touched our heart with, and begin to examine our own lives and locate where we are in our walk of faith with you and help us to see the extent to which we're turning too much to Egypt, to the world, and without even coming to you first and just automatically trusting in the things that the world provides as answers. Father, you're a God who loves us. We're your children and you will meet us where we are if we'll hearts will be humble before you and will be teachable and we want to grow. So we thank you for this grace. And I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice tonight that these words will encourage, strengthen, and even challenge us, even me, to face the situations that we're in and turn to you as our resource, as our source, and allow you to work in our lives that we may grow in our faith. And we thank you for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you're here tonight or or you're watching online and, and you've never received Christ into your life as your Savior, I don't want to close this service without giving you that opportunity. I may-